Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, just did the MLB stream with JJ from Bet Crushers earlier today. And now back with UFC Roundup uh, for UFC Vegas 55. Uh, I am stuttering because I'm going to get this out on Twitter. So hopefully some people can join in, comment. Um, so give me just a second here. And uh, we'll get going here in just a second. Hopefully this pulls up. There we go. Um, details. All right. Last thing, and I'm ready to go. All right. Let's do this. So I'm actually, uh, this this was a fun one to break down. This, this UFC card, I can't say that it is... Uh, a phenomenal card overall, but I think there's some interesting spots and I really enjoyed digging in a little deeper this week. Uh, got to dig in uh, with Arroyo earlier in the week and that got me thinking more, doing a little more research. Uh, so excited to do that. But first got the gin tonic. Got to have that. Uh, last week I had an opening rant and I've got another one this week. So just something that a lot of people are saying these days, and it's not just UFC Twitter. I feel like I'm hearing this other places too. It's sort of like, you know, everybody was talking about extracting value for a while. And I mean, I get I get it's a real thing, but also uh, everybody was just using those words a lot, kind of a fad. So there's a new one happening that I'm not a big fan of. And that is these lines open up and people start talking about them. And one of the things people will say is that a line is disrespectful. A line cannot be disrespectful. The betting market is a market. So the prices are set where Vegas thinks people are going to get in one way or another. Uh, they, it's not like there's two old, like, dodgy UFC guys sitting down in a back room somewhere being like, how much do we respect uh, Elise Reed? Oh, I'd put her at about a two. How much do we respect Sam Hughes? Oh, I'd put her at about a three. Let's build the line on that. Obviously bullshit. Uh, lines are not about respect. Lines are about the market. Now, if you think a line is too... And, and even this thing, like when people say it's disrespectful, it doesn't actually have anything to do with the fight that's going on for the most part. Usually when people say a line is disrespectful, what they mean is that there is some fighter who has built up a lot of equity over time, sometimes one of the, the giants of the game who's been around, a Hall of Famer, and they're going up against somebody that's newer, who isn't as established, and, and so they should have the respect of all that they've accomplished. But a lot of times it's somebody who's older, they're not at their peak anymore, and so the line, of course, is not going to reflect that they're going to the fucking Hall of Fame. It's just not how it works. So anyway, if you ever catch me on here talking about lines being respectful or disrespectful, feel free to call me out in the comments because it's not my favorite. Uh, also, as we're going here, would love to hear any comments. Tell me what you're thinking about these fights. I'm sure there will be plenty of places you might disagree, and uh, I would love to hear it. So, Or if you do agree, be happy to hear that too. All right, let's start out with Elise Reed and Sam Hughes. Tweak things a little bit again this week. Uh, Going to talk about a lot of the same stuff I did last time. Going to start out every fight by talking about what they're saying. And by them, I mean the people who know their shit. 
Um, I've tagged a number of these people on Facebook. I listen to them every week because they know what they're talking about. Whether I agree or disagree, they're good at breaking down fights. Um, I'll probably be tagging them again. I'm going to try to do a better job of calling them out when I refer to something that someone in particular said. But you know the people on Twitter that you probably follow. And I'm always looking for new people, too, who have really good insight. Um, but so what I'm trying to do in this UFC roundup, number one, is just give you a sense of what sort of the main talking points are and what the consensus is. So for Elise Reed and Sam Hughes, what they're saying is that these women are both coming off of their first UFC wins. Many people felt like neither of them were UFC level, whatever that means, and uh, that maybe they wouldn't even get a win in the UFC, but both of them getting a win in their last fight. Sam Hughes has good durability, a good gas tank. She can take a lot of punishment and still keep coming at you. She, she'll push forward. She pushes the pace. Um, Hughes close enough on the feet is what most people would say. I mean, a, a lot of people will say Elise Reed has a striking advantage, but it doesn't seem like most of the people I hear talk about this think that that advantage is uh, is massive. Maybe a couple people. Um, many talk about Corey McKenna perhaps being overrated, um, though I don't really understand why, because we knew Corey McKenna wasn't the fastest before her fight against Elise Reed, and I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit here. In terms of outliers, um, because as you're going to hear here in a second, I'm going to talk about the consensus picks and, you know, uh, give it away. It's Sam Hughes on this one for most people. But there was one outlier. This was CJ Safdick, who I know he's been on a cold streak here lately, but uh, CJ knows his shit. And if you've been following him for any length of time, you've certainly made money, not lost it. And what he said this week was Estela Nunez, who is a really good striker, was absolutely dominating Sam Hughes in that first round, like absolute destruction. Then she death gassed. And so if Reed can do something anywhere similar to Nunez and not gas out, she should be able to cruise to a victory. So CJ was pretty strong on the Elise Reed side. Uh, we'll see if that's where he ends up by the time he puts out his parlays and stuff. In terms of important points, this is a... Um, a section I added. So this isn't necessarily stuff everyone's saying, but it's just things that I think are important to mention um, that maybe even only one person said. But I think this is a big deal. Reed's, Elise Reed's loss in the UFC was to Sajari Eubanks at 125. Now, why it matters that it was at 125 is that Reed fights at 115 most of the time, so she was moving up. Sajari Eubanks fights at two, one, 235, holy hell. 135 a lot of the time and she was moving down to she has had other fights at 125 but a lot of her fights are at 135 so her loss was to someone who's inherently far bigger than she is now that could be an issue here because it sounds like sam hughes will have a little bit of a size advantage on elise reed but it's not going to be as massive um as sarge's was i don't think in terms of consensus picks on this one like i said it's Sam Hughes. Uh, Sam Hughes is the underdog, but most of the people I listen to are on her, maybe partly because of the price. And then, of course, fight goes the distance. Uh, it's, a, it's a women's fight. Neither of these women have a lot of finishing upside, so um, fight goes the distance. Now the last two sections, um, as I'm diving into this more, I'm going to talk about my takes on these fights and then the picks that I'm considering. So my take on this one, uh, this one probably more than any other on this entire card, I do not get where people are coming from. 
Before her last fight, the majority opinion on Sam Hughes was that she probably didn't even belong in the UFC and was not very skilled. Now, I do have to give the uh, exception of Clint from Die Hard MMA. He is a huge fan of Sam Page, and he is always on her, no matter who she's fighting. I think if uh, she fought uh, Nunez or anyone, he'd still be on Sam Page uh, if he got the right number. Clint, I, I love you. I'm just playing. I know you like your Sam Hughes. Um, so here's the thing. Sam Hughes goes out and gets one win over a woman who gassed as hard as anyone you'll ever see. And now people are saying she's better almost everywhere than Elise Reed. This just makes no sense to me. I do want to talk a little bit more about that Estella Nunes fight. So if you watch that fight, I remember tweeting out uh, after the first round, if Estella Nunes can keep this up, it is going to be amazing. Because she put on a massive pace. Her striking was on point. Sam Hughes was getting not just touched up, but fucked up in that first round. And Estela Nunez just, I mean, gassed as hard as anyone you'll ever see. It's not that Sam Hughes was such a good fighter in that fight. It's that she was able to survive the damage and be around when Nunez had nothing left. So I don't understand why we're so high on, I mean, if you want to be high on Sam Hughes for her durability, absolutely. I mean, she took a beating in that fight and was still there. So her durability is unquestionably amazing. But other than that, what kind of credit are we... I mean, she beat up a punching bag after round one. So now to go to the other side, um, to go to Elise Reed versus Corey McKenna. So before the last fight, most people were pretty high on Corey McKenna as a prospect. I mean, certainly people said she was young and that she had to develop and had some holes in her game. But McKenna was a pretty big favorite, and most people didn't have a problem with it. So now Reed goes out there, touches her up over three rounds, stuffs her takedowns, and we switch to saying Corey McKenna's no good. Now, maybe Corey McKenna's not any good, but what I feel on this fight is like people want to pick Sam Hughes, and so they're making up the idea that Sam Hughes had some great win against Estella Nunez when really Nunez more just beat herself. And then we're going back and revising history say, to say Corey McKenna's no good so that we can discredit at least Reed. It just makes no sense to me. Feels like huge recency bias and rewriting what people thought of these fighters based on one fight that Hughes won. Yeah, at least Reed won, but, but we don't give her any credit for it. Now, I do think the smaller cage could be an advantage for Hughes here. Um, she needs this fight to not stay at range. She needs to get in, push push Reed up against the cage, make it grimy. And she might be able to do that. I mean, um, I say all this stuff and, and I'm going to end up in, at a certain place. But I'm not saying that Elise Reed is going to just run away with this fight. I don't think that's true. In fact, I think if Hughes can get her up against the cage and hold her there some... Could be trouble. I also think like Reed's not going to put Hughes away. Hughes is going to be there. She's going to be there with the gas tank. So if a Re if Reed gasses out, the same thing will happen to her as happened to Nunez. But so here here's where I'm ending up. For me, what I'm considering is I think Reed is the side. The reason I think that is that I don't think Reed gasses as fast as Estella Nunez did. I think if she can keep the distance more often than not, she can win the first two rounds. And then just hang in there and survive through the third and get a decision. Um, I like Reed. I like Reed decision. I like the over two and a half. Fight goes the distance. One of the other things that I'm going to consider here is taking a little bit on split decision. I haven't looked what the number is yet there. But if it's a decent number, I definitely could see this one going to decision and both women having their moments. 
Um, probably Elise Reed having the bigger, flashier moments, but Hughes having maybe some more control time and looking like the more powerful woman. So, um, so that's what's happening with this fight. Um, I end up on the Reed side. Most of the people I'm listening to end up on the Hughes side. Um, that's what that's what's up with that one. All right. Next up, uh, in, another interesting one for conversation's sake. We got Chase Hooper against Felipe Kolarish. In terms of what people are saying on this one, Chase Hooper is young. He signed at 18 years old, is still just 22. He got pushed faster a lot. He got pushed a lot faster than he should have for his own good. Most people believe he should have gone and fought on the regional scene, probably until now, or should still be fighting on the regional scene just to get some advantage or to get some um, experience. Uh, Chase Hooper is terrible at striking, but he is durable. And people are saying that both of these guys are jujitsu black belts. And so um, Chase Hooper, if he has an advantage in some of his fights, it's probably the submissions. Uh, but against Kolarish, that might be nullified some because both of them have a pretty good jujitsu game. Not really any main outliers here. Basically, the take is both of these guys suck. Kolarish has more experience and might suck a little bit less. In terms of important points on this one, I think there are two. I was surprised to not hear people talk about this more. I will say uh, Daniel Levy on Half the Battle did mention this, and maybe some others did too, but Chase Hooper has a five-inch height advantage and a six-inch reach advantage. Now, he is scrawny, and so I don't know how much he'll be able to use it because I don't know that he's powerful enough uh, to keep Kolarish off, or, off of him if Kolarish wants to, to make it grimy or even try to take him down. Um but that's a, that's a big size advantage, and I, I definitely don't think it's a negative at the very least. The other important point is that Chase Hooper's had a year off, and a couple of people have said this, that, you know, it's not, I'm not original on this or anything. But at 22 years old, there's a great chance that you could be improving. I mean, this is the time of life where fighters will make big leaps. Now, the question is, is does Hooper have the athleticism and skill to make those leaps or not? We don't know. But he has had a year off, so at least theoretically, he could have made some big improvements. Consensus picks on this one, uh, Felipe Kolarish, almost across the board, maybe one or two people on Hooper, but it's it's Kolarish, and most of them by decision, um, possibly submission. My take on this one, so when I listen to everybody talk about this fight, I've heard almost nothing positive about Kolarish. The consensus is Kolarish almost entirely because people are betting against Chase Hooper. So th there's nothing like, here's what Kolarish is great at. I mean, they say he's good at jujitsu, but, and so therefore he's going to be Chase Hooper. It's more Chase Hooper really sucks. Um, and so we can't take him. I think Chase Hooper being the dog here is important because here's what I do know. He's durable. He doesn't quit. He has a huge size and reach advantage. And he's had a year off. Yes, his striking has been bad, but the grappling should at least be interesting. And he'll continue to pursue that grappling and those finishes until the bitter end. Also, him being in an age where he could improve significantly, I've, I'm willing to pay a dog price to see if he has. If he was a favorite here, I wouldn't be taking him. This is the other thing is obviously we have a lot more information now, but Chase Hooper has been a favorite against people a lot better than Felipe Kolarish. So, so it's totally flipped on what people think about him. Um, so I feel like everyone is taking Kolarish 
versus the last version we saw of Hooper. And that may not be him enough. Kalarish is old enough. He's probably not getting better. So a dog money, I'll take the younger fighter with the larger size, with the size advantage, who at least I know won't quit on the fight. So my picks, I'm looking at Hooper, Hooper round three, over and over one and a half. Probably not going huge on this. I haven't actually placed the bets yet, but that's the that's the way that I'm going to go on this one. I I just think either it's it's in the words of uh, Paul and CJ, it feels like dog or pass to me. Why would you lay minus money on a guy who nobody can say a good thing about? All right. Next fight up, Jonathan Martinez versus Vince Morales. Uh, I had to say one funny thing, and I almost just did this too, so it's not shitting on anybody. But it's funny with these two fights right in a row, I can't tell you how many people said this was Jonathan Martinez versus Vince Morales because it was just Kolarish. All right, what people are saying on this one, Jonathan Martinez, a great pure striker, great leg kicks. He, at distance, kickboxing, phenomenal fighter. Um, he can hurt people. But also, he's vulnerable to getting knocked down or knocked out. And Morales isn't sexy, but he does tend to get the job done or hang in there at the very least. Um, he's been improving and settling into the UFC. If this is a kickboxing fight at range, it should be Martinez. If Morales gets into boxing range and out of kickboxing range, it gets more interesting. Not many outliers on this. Um, what I just said there is pretty much the the summary of what what most people are saying from what I hear. A couple important points here. Um, Morales did lose to leg kicks versus Chris Gutierrez. I mean, he got TKO'd by him. He didn't just lose. He got TKO'd by leg kicks. Now, that's not a massive shame because Chris Gutierrez has absolutely nasty leg kicks. So fair enough. But Martinez has good leg kicks as well. And so if they stay at distance and Martinez is able to get those leg kicks off, that could prove problematic for Morales. Also, a smaller cage could favor Morales a little bit because it can make it a little harder for Martinez to stay at distance. If Morales can close that distance down, he negates some of the biggest strengths that Martinez has. In terms of the consensus uh, on the people that I've listened to this week, the consensus is Martinez and Martinez' decision. However, most people don't feel nearly as confident on this pick as the line would suggest. Uh, I didn't have the line pulled up here. Let me see if I can get that real quick so we can see what it is in real time. It's minus 225. And while people, like I said, did like Jonathan Martinez, they didn't talk about him as confidently as though he was a minus 225 favorite. In terms of my take on this fight, for, after listening to people talk, I think the fight's probably closer than the line indicates. I think, um, especially in the small cages I already referenced, if Morales can close the distance a little bit and get it out of kickboxing range, I think that um, he can make this fight closer um, than that wide line. And I know that that means I should bet Morales. But so this, this goes down to your... Um, your strategy in betting. I, for some people, it's just figure out what you think the line should be and then bet where you see value. For me, I certainly am going to do that some. But also, if I really think someone is going to win the fight the large majority of the time, especially because of the parlays that I play, I'm going to use the person that I think is going to win the fight the majority of the time. So my picks, I, I don't, I'm not going to have any like main picks on this. But 
I'll probably use Jonathan Martinez a little bit down in the parlay. I may even use Martinez decision a little bit down on the long shot parlay, but I will also probably hedge with some Morales KO as I think that's his primary way to victory. I do think he could win a decision, um, but I think his main path to victory is a KO. And then I'll also look potentially at fight goes the distance here or, you know, the overs for parlays as well. So that's kind of where my head's at on that one. Next up, we have another Morales, Omar, and he is taking on Uros Medic, the medic. In terms of what people are saying on this one, it is Uros Medic is from Alaska FC, which is not where you want to be from. Most people took a few minutes to shit on Alaska FC, which, hey, I can't say whether they deserve that or not. They probably do. Uh, but that was a favorite pastime of people this week to talk about Alaska FC. Medic does come out hard. He hasn't had a fight go past the six-minute mark in his pro career. And so many people say that he has a gas tank problem. It's first round or bust. Omar Morales is a seasoned kickboxer. He is pretty good on the feet, but he doesn't have much power. That's backed up by the fact that since the Contender Series, four of his five fights have gone to decision, and all of his wins have gone to decision. So he is not someone who generally puts people away. Not many outliers on this one. Um, basically, those points I just covered are the main things that people are saying. Important points here. I think we do have to consider that we are assuming that Uros Medic has a gas tank issue. Now, maybe he's he's looked tired um, even by the end of the first round or beginning of the second, but we haven't seen the guy go past six minutes. And so I do think that assuming he has gas tank issues is a little bit presumptive. I don't think we know for sure. Now, he absolutely might. I'm saying we don't know either way. It's it's not that he doesn't. It's just we don't know either way. The consensus on this one, actually pretty split. I would say it's 60-40 Omar Morales on this one. But there are a fair number of people taking their shot on Uros Medic. In terms of my take, this isn't a fight where I feel really strongly. I'm really interested to see how Medic does if the fight goes past around a round and a half. I actually really hope it does because I think Medic has some upside and I'm interested in him as a prospect. I think he brings a lot of skills to the table, actually. And if he does have the cardio to go three rounds, I think he could be a problem for a lot of people. So in terms of the plays that I'll make, I think I'm thinking about taking Medic inside the distance small and then Morales round three small. Um, the, the round three would be just thinking maybe Medic does have a gas tank issue because uh, Morales doesn't finish people much. And then for parlays, I may look at fight doesn't go the distance, but I'm just, I don't know. I'm not going to be blown away if this one goes to the goes to a decision. So um, especially if Medic doesn't get him out of there in the first round, I think. If Medic doesn't get him out of the first round, you could look at a, a live bet on Morales as well. Um, at that point, the plus money that you would get might be worth uh, the shot to see if Medic is going to gas or not. So not my strongest take on that one, but overall, people leaning toward Omar Morales. Uh, the experts that I listen to, a few people are on Medic. Next up, this is a super interesting one to talk about, I think. We got Gilton Almeida going up against Parker Porter. What people are saying on this one? People are very excited about Gilton Almeida. I mean, there were some people going on about the skills this guy has, how impressive he is. A couple people 
either saying or basically saying they think he's a title contender at light heavyweight, not at heavyweight, which we will get to. But generally, people love him. He finishes quick, uh, and most people think he's likely to get a round one sub here. He is a light heavyweight, and even at light heavyweight has come in underweight by a couple pounds sometimes. Parker Porter on the other side is a very heavy and portly heavyweight. He is 5'11", I believe, so he doesn't necessarily have the frame for 265, but he tends to come in around 265 or a couple pounds under, so he is a large man. And Parker Porter doesn't have a lot of power. He doesn't necessarily tend to finish people, but he does have decent volume. That's what people are saying about this fight. Now, in terms of outliers, because like I said, most people are really high on Jalton Almeida, but there were a couple who do see a real path for Parker Porter to win here, probably by decision. If he can get out of the first round, they believe that his size, he will be able to wear on Jalton Almeida. If he can lean on him on the fence, if he can even get him down and get top position, that he'll be able to wear on him and just get to a decision and with some of that, um, with the volume in round two and three, possibly be able to get a decision win. In terms of important points on this one, here's the deal. We don't know about Jailton Almeida's gas, gas tank one, or, one way or the other. It's sort of like Uros Medic, because he hasn't been past the second minute of round two in his pro career. So we're talking about how Almeida is going to dominate people, but especially moving up to light or to heavyweight, what if he doesn't put Parker Porter away in the first six, seven minutes? We don't know. Maybe his gas tank's awesome, and he's just going to continue doing what he does and going for the submissions, but maybe he's going to gas. Consensus picks on this one are Almeida and Almeida sub. All right, in terms of my take on this fight, I think a lot comes down to whether or not Porter can keep from getting his back taken, especially in round one. To me, the primary way that I see Parker Porter, because Porter's been decently durable, I don't really see Almeida be, uh, knocking him out here. I absolutely can see Almeida subbing him. If, if Almeida's able to just use his athleticism to get to Porter's back in round one, I think a round one sub is absolutely in the cards. However... If Almeida can't do that, and if somehow Porter could get top position and hold Almeida down, especially if he starts to get tired, I think it could be trouble for Almeida. Now, the line is super wide. Um, it was minus 600. Let's see what it's at now. Uh, it's minus 550, so there has been some money that's come in on Parker Porter. I probably should have played something earlier if I was going to. Um, but if Porter can get on top of him and he can hold him down, I think it's trouble for Almeida. Here's the deal. Go try to lift someone off of you who outweighs you by 50 pounds. Not easy. And Parker Porter is going to have a 40 to 50 pound. I didn't see what the weigh-ins were today. I probably should have looked that up, but it's been a full day and I didn't get to it. But I'm guessing he has a 40 to 50 pound um, weight advantage here. So it's hard because Parker Porter is not really a great heavyweight. It's not like this is some awesome guy that Almeida is going up against. But on the other hand, Almeida was a plus 165 underdog to Nasserdinov uh, on the Contender Series three fights ago. Think about that. <laughs> three fights ago on the Contender Series, he was plus 165. He is now moving up a weight class against a guy who has proven that he is at the very least a middling UFC fighter, and he is plus minus 550. How the hell does that happen? 
Um, you can tell for me, um, man, like I said, if Almeida gets sub one, cool. Uh, I can definitely see that happening. But I'm considering going going with something on Parker Porter and on Porter round three or decision. Because I think if he can grind him out, uh, he's so heavy. I just think Almeida is going to have to wilt by round three. For parlays, I'm more likely to go with fight doesn't go to decision. While I can see it going to decision for Porter, I absolutely see the finishing, uh, the the submission possibility for Almeida. And I do see the possibility of Porter getting Almeida out of there later in the second or into the third round if Almeida gasses. So very interesting fight. I mean, uh, more power to you if you're going to put Almeida on the top of a parlay. But I, I think this is a dangerous spot to do it. Um, and he might look like minus 2,000. We'll see. All right, moving along. Next up, we have Joseph Uglyman Holmes versus Alan Amadovsky. In terms of what people are saying on this one, uh, first of all, they'd say this fight sucks. Uh, neither of these fighters are good, and they don't trust him. Uh, ever, also, everyone talks about Joseph's nickname being Uglyman, and pretty much consensus is he should find a new nickname, although it is memorable. I'll give him that. Amandovsky has some power, but it's mostly in round one. And overall, I don't think a single person said that Amandovsky is actually a good fighter, just that he has some power. On the other hand, Holmes has the body of a great fighter. He looks like a prototype, yet he has terrible ring IQ and actually doesn't end up being that good of a fighter after all. Um, Holmes is training with James Krause now at Glory MMA and Fitness, so maybe he'll make improvements. And both of these fighters have shown a tendency to gas out. So that's what everyone is saying. Not really any outliers on this. Not really any important points. The consensus picks are either people took Holmes, Amandovsky by KO, or fight doesn't go to decision. Fight doesn't go to decision is probably actually the most consensus of the picks here. In terms of a side, everyone was sort of like, oh, picking a side sucks here, but here's what I'll take. So to me, um, here's my take on this. It sounds to me, well, it doesn't sound to me, this this is a low-level MMA fight. And those are inherently hard to cap because people have so many holes in their game that those holes can be exploited. So I don't really see super meaningful edges overall here. Given that, I am going to side with Holmes on this. And here's the reasons why. Number one, he's a much better athlete. He has a reach advantage. He has a size advantage. He's younger. He could be making improvements. He's at a good gym. Amandovsky, I think, doesn't have the same training that Holmes is going to have. And so I think that this actually could be a um, a, sta a statement, a statement-ish win for Holmes. I'm just saying I think he could win fairly easily, especially if he can vo avoid the power, avoid getting pinned up against the cage in round one. So my picks are going to be Holmes, Holmes by submission and fight doesn't go the distance. I do line up with others in terms of thinking that this fight is probably one of the ones most likely not to see a decision. Next fight up, we have Eric Anders versus Park Zhang Yang. This one's pretty quick in terms of what everyone's saying on this one. Anders is a great athlete. Everyone has to mention that he uh, played college football at Alabama um, we know that playing football doesn't really matter. Greg Hardy and Eric Anders both did, and neither have done too much in the UFC. I mean, they're awesome athletes, don't get me wrong, um, but it just doesn't equate to winning fights. But everyone has to say it. Eric Anders is low output. He often has poor fight IQ, 
Um, many people said that if he would just step up and and throw, he could win. But here's the deal. I've been hearing people say that since I started watching UFC. Every Eric Anders fight off, he just throws. Oh, he's a great athlete. Then he goes out there and he doesn't do it. People said that. On the other side, Park is just a strong, well-rounded, all-around fighter. People have a lot of respect for him. They think that he's a great striker. They think that he is good enough um, if the fight tries to go to the ground. Just people are people are high on him and speak highly of him in terms of his all-around game. Outliers, there was basically one person who took Anders and says he thinks he'll be able to push him up against the cage and hold him there, make it a grimy fight, take away, take away Park's uh, striking ability. That was one person. Consensus picks on this one are park and park by decision. For my take, like I said, I've been hearing what great potential Eric Anders has since I started watching UFC, and maybe it's true, but I'm not betting him. Um, I don't care if he has great potential. He's not actualizing it. Yeah, sure, maybe this is the fight where he will, and then I'll be proved wrong. But at this point, he's been around long enough that if he was going to make changes, if he was actually going to be aggressive, if he was going to do this shit to actually win fights, he would have done it by now. Uh, and he hasn't. And Park is a uh, like a volume, good pressure striker who is not going to let Anders off the hook in any way. Anders, I don't think Anders is winning minutes in this fight. The only way is if he could get him up against the cage and hold him there. So I think Park is very likely to win a decision. Anders could get a KO, but I will put my money down that he doesn't. So I'm going along with the consensus here in terms of Park and Park decision. I also will think about um, some overs in terms of the parlays on this fight. Next up, we have Pollyanna Viana and Tabitha Ricci. Uh, well, the first thing that everyone says about this fight is that they are both good looking. Uh, that is pretty much what every capper starts with. Um, one person even summed it up by saying people will care more about what the fighters look like than how they fight. I'm not sure that's true, but that's just what people say. In terms of their fighting styles, uh, Tabitha Ricci, Baby Shark, awesome nickname. I am down with it. Uh, comes out to the song Baby Shark. Should get, you know, like half a point just for that. Uh, Hey, I just saw Shady show up in the comments. What's up, man? Good to see you. Uh, thanks for thanks for stepping in. See uh, see how things line up with what we talked about earlier in the week, bud. Good to see you. Um, so uh, Tabitha Ricci has been doing jujitsu sh since she was a little kid. Uh, her dad, I believe, is a jujitsu ju coach. So this has kind of been her life. Um, she also is strong in top position and is able to get there many times where on the other side, Pollyanna Viana is really happy to play off of her back. In fact, will pull guard at times in order to get there. And she goes for arm bars a lot. And we know that in women's MMA, especially middle to lower level women's MMA, arm bars from guard absolutely happen. And that is what Pollyanna Viana is known for and what she'll probably go for here. That's what people are saying about this. Not many outliers. That's that's sort of uh, the take that people have. One important point that not a lot of people uh, talked about. Uh, yeah, Shady, I'm going to get to that in just a second. I think the Cortez uh, comparison to Ricci is a really good one, actually. It says she has a big ass like Cortez. I, I, I do think that's a good comparison. So Pollyanna Viana is a lot bigger here, though. Four-inch height advantage, five-inch reach advantage. So Ricci may be a little bit better on the feet in terms of pressure um, and, and 
accuracy, but Viana should be able to get to her if she will throw some strikes from the outside a little bit because of that difference. I don't know that it's a massive deal here just because of the way they fight, but I do think it's an advantage that we at least need to, need to name. Um, Tabitha Ricci is always going to be the smaller fighter. She's 5'2", so that's not shocking. In terms of the consensus here, the people, you know, again, the analysts, cappers, it's Tabitha Ricci and Ricci by decision. And that was pretty much across the board. I heard very few people on Pollyanna Viana this this week. Here's my take on this. Um, this fight seems very similar to me to Tracy Cortez and Melissa Gatto. Ricci should be able to win minutes um, if she can get top control and hold Viana down and stay out of danger with the arm bar from, uh, from her back then I think she can ride it out and get a decision. I think it's possible she could get some ground and pound and potentially win inside the distance, but I think it's less likely that she would do that. However, Viana does the armbar a lot. It's a move that she is good at. So we can't just say that it was like some accident that she gets these arm bars from guard. And I think she could do it here. I don't think you can dismiss that. So this fight feels really hard for me to pick a side. Um, and I struggled a lot with which side to take and, um, Cortez versus Gato. I ended up on the Cortez and Cortez by decision side. And uh, early in the week, I actually put half a unit on Pollyanna Viana earlier in the week. But where I'm at now, I actually am leaning toward Ricci again. I think if, if Ricci can be smart enough to stay away from getting subbed, she probably does win the minutes and win this fight likely by decision. So um, in terms of my, my picks... I'm going to consider taking Ricci or Ricci by decision. And then um, I already do have half a unit on Viana, but I might hedge a little bit more with her by submission. Next fight up. Let me get a drink here quick. We got Chidi and Jaquane. And Jaquane. Sorry, I said that kind of shitty. Versus Dusko Todorovic. This one's going to be fairly take fairly quick for me in terms of, of this fight. What people are saying about this one, everyone talks about Chidi's 16-second uh, KO of Marc-Andre Barrio. Barrio came back recently, won a fight. And so the fact that he knocked out a guy who's known for being durable in 16 seconds, yeah, it's a huge... Uh, um, uh, I'm not going to get to my commentary now. I'll talk about the commentary in a minute. But yes, he knocked him out in 16 seconds. Big win. Chidi's a long-term Bellator fighter who's really had a lot of ups and downs. Um, and Dusko came into the UFC with a lot of hype, but really has not panned out. The way that he is best is to put people up against the cage, get some dirty boxing in there, um, and, and control the fight in that way. Maybe even get people down. That's what, what Dusko Todorovic needs to be able to do. Not really any outliers on this one. Uh, pretty straightforward for most people I listen to. They spent less time on this. The consensus picks were Chidi and Chidi by KO. All right. So my take on this fight, I think there's a lot of hype on Chidi for getting one KO. I mean, I understand that he's a seasoned fighter and that he's had some really good fights in Bellator. But... When somebody gets knocked out in 16 seconds, that is MMA variance. Like if someone gets hit on the button, they're going to go to sleep. Marc-Andre Barrio has proven to be pretty durable, and so it is impressive that Chidi was able to KO him in 16 seconds. But does that mean Chidi's going to KO everybody that he fights? I definitely don't think so. So in terms of the line being as wide as it is, and, and granted, Dusko Todorovic, there's not like a lot of great stuff there to talk about. I'm not saying that he's a great fight, that fighter. That's not my point. 
But at minus 250, I think there's a little more hype on Chidi than maybe there should be. Um, I do think Chidi's more talented. Dusko can leave his chin up. So this one feels to me a lot like Jonathan Martinez. If you were going to ask me, like, where's the value, as people say, I think it's on Dusko here. Um, I think he has a better chance to win this fight than plus 210, which is where he's at right now. But for my parlays and stuff, I think it's very likely that Chidi wins this fight. I think he is the more well-rounded fighter. I think he has more power. And so I think that it's more likely that he wins. So for my parlays, I'll use Cheaty. I'll probably even look at maybe Cheaty by KO. But I will probably also look at some fight doesn't go the distance. Um, not that Dusko's a phenomenal finisher or anything, but I do think that it's possible that either of these guys could get a finish in this fight. Um, and I may consider hedging a little bit with some Dusko, depending on how high up I have Cheaty in those parlays. So I think I think uh, Njuquane is the, is the right side there um shady talking about the hedge yeah um i i agree that's what i'm looking at for this one all right we got two fights left uh hopefully two good ones so first up we got santiago ponzanibio versus michelle Pereira. shady's gonna be happy where i end up on this one unless he wants to be against me <laughs> i've enjoyed listening people to listening to people talk about this fight i think it's a good fight um i think if this fight had happened uh, you know before the illness that Ponzinibbio had it would have been potentially even more exciting but um yeah let's talk about that so in terms of what everyone's saying people still refer a lot to how uh, michelle Pereira uses a lot of crazy moves does a lot of backflips uses up a lot of energy and is really flashy i'm gonna get to in a minute why i think it's stupid that people are still talking about that or kind of stupid at least um, on the Ponzinibbio side, and people do always also say that Pereira is a good fighter. He's got skills all around. Um, he he can change up his attacks, good striker, all those things. On the Ponzinibbio side, he had a life-threatening illness. And people just weren't really sure if he's fully back from that or not. You know, if he's like the same guy um, who is a title challenger um, or not. People believe Ponzinibbio's high is higher, but they're just not sure if he's at that high. Like if both these guys fought at their at their height, people would be more on Ponzinibbio. In terms of the outliers here, a couple people hinted at this or, or talked a little bit about it, but I want to give credit to Dan Tom. He's the one who talked about it the most. Lately, Michelle Pereira has been fighting different. He is not wasting energy like he used to waste energy. He's fighting smarter. He's fighting a little bit slower. He's had three fights in a row go to decision. So this is a guy who's 28 years old and seems to be developing and starting to understand how to win fights more, more than just go out and put on a great show, though we all enjoy the great show. So that was an outlier um, that Dan Tom talked about, and I, I think we need to put some emphasis on that. Important points here, the way Ponzinibbio fights, this is also from Dan Tom, actually. I'm repeating a couple things, but I tweeted earlier, uh, he's got a great podcast. If you want to hear, hear some fight breakdowns, I often take a couple points away from him that are really good. So anyway, shout out to him. Um, really good. But one of the important points he made is that the way Ponzinibbio fights, and especially the way he rolls with punches, he can make it look like he's more hurt than he is. So he kind of staggers away from the punches, and it can look to the judges like he's getting hurt when really he's not getting touched up that bad. So if this fight goes to a decision like the last three have for Pereira, that could bode poorly 
for Santiago Ponzinibbio. It's interesting that Dan Tom was actually on the Ponzinibbio side after talking about all this, but I think that that's a relevant point. If this is a close fight and it looks like Ponzinibbio's hurt more than Pereira is, I don't think that's good for him in terms of the decision. Consensus here was very split. I'd say it was 60-40 Pereira, but it was really um, people on both sides. In terms of my take here, I just really hesitate to take a fighter that might be diminished. People seemed really unsure about where Ponzinibbio is at these days. He had that illness. Um, people don't know if he's all the way back. He also is getting older, where Michelle Pereira is only 28, so theoretically, he could still be making improvements. And we've seen a lot of improvements in his recent fights. And he's got all the physical tools to be a great, a great fighter. Um, I like that he's been fighting a lot smarter um, and even going to decision some. And so for me, I I like Pereira here. Um, this is going to be a good fight. So I'm not saying it's like, um, you know, a dominant, this dominant win for Pereira. But I think I think Pereira is the side here. And I think Pereira decision is good. Um, in parlays, I'm going to look at the over one and a half and even the fight goes the distance. I think these guys are going to stay in there. Um they're, they're both going to be durable, and they're, they're, I think it goes all three rounds. Certainly, they both have the capacity to finish, but I think this one goes to decision. Shady saying it's a coin flip. Uh, yeah, man, after listening all week, and, and I know Shady was on the Pereira side early this week when we talked, I think it's even a little better than a coin flip, honestly. I, I think there are some red flags with Ponzinibbio, but um, Saturday will tell us, so we'll see. All right, last fight of the night is Holly Holm versus Caitlin Vieira. What everybody's saying on this one is there is a massive output discrepancy between these two fighters. Holly Holm puts out so much more volume than Caitlin Vieira does. Also, Holm hasn't fought for almost a year, and she is 40 years old. However, a lot of people will say that age matters less in women's MMA and the heavyweight division. Certainly seems to be true with heavyweights, and, and at times seems to be true in the women's division as well. Um, Caitlin Vieira is a little bit more plotting, um, can get some leg sweeps and takedowns, and that's probably where she'll want to get this fight if she at all can. In terms of outliers on this one, uh, Daniel Levy was the main one who made a case for Caitlin Vieira. I don't think he even necessarily took her in the end, but he made a case that this could be a closer fight than the line. And he was about the only person I heard do that. And his big thing was that, um, with those leg sweeps and with some of the, the, clinching and grappling and potential takedowns that she might be able to control Holly Holm and therefore win minutes um, and potentially get a decision here if Holm isn't able to get back up. Important points on this one is, uh, like I just said there, if the fight goes to the ground, can Vieira hold Holm down or not? Uh, now that assumes that the fight goes to the ground, which I don't think is a, is a given, but that is a question if it gets there. And then, like I was said, already said, I think home having a high volume is an important point here. So consensus on this one is home and home by decision. Uh, my take on this, the big thing to me, and I said this when Shady and I talked on, uh, was that Sunday? Mon on Monday, I believe. And as Shady said, we gave out some good lines before this. You did, my man. You're the one who was giving out those good lines before the steam. I was, I was a little more hesitant, but I'm ending up in a lot of the same places now. Um, the level of competition is just so different. Home beat Aldana, Pennington, Megan Anderson. Her losses are to Amanda Nunes, Cyborg, Durandami, Shevchenko, and Misha Tate, the good one, like before she came back. So Holly Holmes only ever lost to really fucking good fighters. That's it. 
Caitlin Vieira beat Misha Tate, but she beat the recent one who isn't so good anymore. Sajara Eubanks, Kat Sangano, Sarah McMahon, Ashley Evans-Smith. Some of those wins are okay. I'm not saying they're all terrible, but they're definitely not on the same level. And she lost to Kunitskaya and Aldana. So I, I just think unless Holly Holm is over the hill and has nothing left, I think this is Holly Holm all day. And I think Holly's going to have something left here. Um, she She's looked in great shape. There's nothing to think that she's totally fallen off. And so um, my picks here... Um, probably going to be using Holly Home on the top line of the parlays. I like Home by decision, although I might sprinkle Home in rounds four and five as well, um, as I think that it's possible she gets a late finish. Uh, I know that's not especially what she's known for, but I definitely think that that's in play here. Um, and then I do, you know, as in most women's fights, um, in the parlay, the safe one, I may use like an over two and a half or something. I'm going to have to see where the line ends up on that one. So. All right, that is UFC Vegas 55, the UFC Roundup. Hopefully you were able to take some good information. Uh, whether you are aligned with me or fading me, whether you're aligned with the other cappers I listen to, fading them, hope you make some money this weekend and hope I do too. Uh, have a good one, everybody. I will see you on Twitter.